Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. You know what I love about this? You can never tell they were rich. It's all so classy and understated. I'll make it up to you later. Make it up to me now. Let's find a room. I must have a few. You're so bad. It is what rich, entitled people do when threatened. They conceal the ugly truths to protect themselves. The community is in shock tonight over the gruesome discovery of a fourth grade mother found bludgeoned to death. Hello and welcome back to episode two of Still Watching the Undoing. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. If you were just joining us, what we do every week on this podcast, we break down the latest episode of some show that we are watching sort of obsessively. We are just now wrapping up the end of We Are Who We Are. So you will have the last episode of uh, that dropping in your feeds on Monday. But it is Sunday night. It is Undoing Night. We are in episode uh, two of The Undoing. So that is what we will be discussing right here, right now. Uh, Richard, welcome you know, arrivederci to Italia. Welcome to New York. Uh, to in the a words. hellish, uh, <laughs> haunted Swift. New York. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's funny. Like, I just like, it's funny how the, the filming style in this episode is different in a way because like it's our, our lead kind of descending into a, 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 a you know, paranoia and, and suspicion and everything. And, um, so last week I was like, oh, it's so nice. To, I mean, it's a grim story, but it's so nice to be in like the Upper East Side. And this week I didn't feel that way. 
yeah. So this episode, episode two, episode one, the the premiere was called The Undoing. This is called The Missing. Um, the titular missing uh, is, of course, uh, Hugh Grant's character, Jonathan, Dr. Jonathan. Um we got, you know, you can always email us if you, if you're interested in, in engaging in this show. You can always email us, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. The bulk of the emails we got this week were about the end of the other show we're covering. So I actually didn't get much on the undoing yet, but we did get one person emailing us to let us know that they definitely thought that Dr. Jonathan Fraser, as played by Hugh Grant, would have an electric toothbrush and not, uh, an analog mm. toothbrush. So. Um, stay, it's nice stay that your sharp. Dentist listens to the podcast, Joanna. <laughs> well, listen, you know he likes to stay informed on what's it's happening in HBO. So devotion. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you have any, if you have any other uh thoughts on the undoing, we would lo- we would love to hear them. Uh, still watching pod at gmail.com so our guest this week uh, on the podcast is lily rabe who plays grace's seemingly one loyal friend um in the show folks might know her best from uh, her work on american horror story she's also in this fantastic film from a few years ago called miss stevens i really recommend it if you haven't seen it so yeah so stick around uh for our chat with the great lily rabe but first richard and i want to talk about this episode episode two of the undoing got a a media explosion uh in this episode richard how do you feel about the way that the media (laughs) is depicted in stories like this the vulturistic uh media well i mean i have to say like i i think in a lot of movies and tv shows usually a crime story but not always where there's some kind of scandal or that the show is trying to tell you is really a big deal. And like everyone's, you know, you went viral, you're on the blogs, you're on the news. A lot of times I'm like, that wouldn't be on the news. Like who cares? You know, but in this case, beautiful woman who is horribly murdered and their kid goes to this fancy school. I think it would be a big deal. Um, So that didn't, what what normally strikes me is kind of like overdoing it actually didn't in this case. Um, I do wonder how many reporters these days are like, leaning against crowd control barriers, waving microphones, like begging for a quote. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm sure that happens, but I've never seen it with my own eyes because I don't have to like stick a microphone at a movie and be like, are you good? Are you good? <laughs> like I can <laughs> just do that from the comfort of my oh, own. Oh, I wish you would though, Richard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make, make. <laughs> yeah. Cats, what's your yeah. comment? <laughs> yeah. Well, I did do that for cats. Actually. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, shaking a, you know, <laughs> kitty litter. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I think it was credible that this, be- this, this news story blew up. Um, and I also think it's credible the way that the information about uh grace's family uh started to seep into the school's you know uh gossip mill um that i think that these you know as we saw in the first episode these people love to talk about each other and you know kind of get the dirt on things um i mean who doesn't really but um so i felt like the 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 undoing of this episode of of grace's once relatively comfortable life uh felt really importantly it felt like m- proportional it was like yep i think this is uh, proceeding as it as it might uh to some extent in real life so let's talk about so we've got two morning drop-offs for grace um 
And in the first, um, she's still part of this like inner circle of moms. She's in the literal like circle of moms. And uh, they're talking about, um, the victim's husband, how he's a suspect, how he's always the husband, et cetera, et cetera. And then when she comes back um, another morning, she's now on the outside because her husband's a suspect. And, you know, the principal basically says, like, I don't think you should come in here anymore. So like that, Janelle Maloney's giving her the cold shoulder. Never, never want a Maloney cold shoulder. Like, that's that's the last thing you want. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the only lifeline she's being offered is by uh, Lily Rabe's character. Um, so I, I like the, that juxtaposition of like, it wasn't even from last episode to this episode. It's like morning to morning, you're in, then you're out. And in this world, uh, you can you can be out so quickly, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and I think that Heidi Klum walking onto the into frame saying that exactly, I think, was really helped <laughs> drive that home. Um. So, so, uh, so Grace is out. Um, but her friend Sylvia, is played by Lily Rabe, uh, is like, Psst, "Come with me. I'm still your friend." <laughs> Let's yeah. go to a diner so I can tell yeah. you terrible information about your husband. Uh, so we find out that in this episode that uh, not only is it, you know, was Jonathan having uh, an affair with this woman, uh, not only is he missing, not only is uh, he, he left his cell phone behind suspiciously, but he's been fired from his job uh for three months now, three months past, uh, and that's and that uh, Sylvia knew about it because she was uh, working as a lawyer for him in some capacity. Um, how 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 do how do you feel about this betrayal, this undoing of of the Hugh Grant, the charming, affable pediatric oncologist uh, persona, Richard? Well, here's another way that this that this episode in some ways felt credible was that like you think okay, so he's this like renowned pediatric oncologist at this big hospital, and they're going to fundraisers and on they're maybe they're talking about maybe auctioning off his services or whatever like, and it's like no one would know that he wasn't working, but a big hospital like that with a prominent doctor having this fall from grace because of something, you know, in this B2 era of like that, they would want to keep that so quiet. So I, I, I really do believe that like with, you know, me, a lawyer knew and a couple other people knew, but otherwise like it, it was Omerta. Um, <laughs> that, that felt right to me. Um, but I love the way that grace finds out this information in this very like intense interrogation scene. Um, because it, uh, it, it, that is such a, I mean, I, I, I haven't acted in anything since college, but like, <laughs> I would imagine that that is a really hard bit of acting because Nicole Kibben doesn't want to, she doesn't want to suggest entirely that Grace knew nothing, but she doesn't want to like, you know, you, you have to play a very fine line of, of like surprise but also guardedness and uh, shock and, 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 and like it's a tragedy that this, this thing has just, that, that's just been said to her is like changed her life forever. Um, such a, so it's a really terrific, like bit of acting from her and reminiscent. I think in some ways of the end of, can I spoil the first season of Broadchurch? Uh, I'll allow it. Yes. Okay. You know, when like <laughs> Olivia Coleman finds out yeah. that, who's the detective finds out it's her husband is the one who yeah. did the murder. And that scene is like, oh, that's why Olivia Coleman like 
you know, is who she is. Like that seems incredible. And I think this is another bit, a, a wonderful interrogation room piece of acting. Um, and I love that the detectives and Gurmeers in particular are like, so like relentless with it. They're not, they're not like concerned about her. Like they're just like, you know, they're hammering away. That feels, um, realistic, uh, to a certain extent. Uh, yeah. And then this scene with Lily Rabe where it's like, okay, Yes, there, it was privileged information. She couldn't say anything to her friend. But is, is that also kind of like a delicious little secret for her to have, you know? Um, and, and so that, that whole social dynamic, I think, is an interesting play. But throughout Nicole Kidman, I think, as she realizes more and more like, oh, this looks really bad on a variety of fronts. Oh, yeah. Um, is just like, it's, it's Nicole Kidman doing her thing and it's great to watch. I want to talk about that interrogation scene really quickly because there's two line readings that I just like love from that scene. One was I never knew that I always wanted to hear Edgar Ramirez say, according to Verizon, but the way he just <laughs> says that, um, I'm not going to do his beautiful accent, but it's just like, it's really nice in his accent. And then, uh, Nicole Kidman saying, grossly custodial setting. Um, mm. I was just like, uh, yes, bring your expertise, uh, to this, uh, interrogation. It was, it was a great moment where she's like, I'm not some like, you know, flighty, you know, Upper East Side wife uh, that you can push around. Like I, I know some things about some some things, and I know that this is out of line. Uh, what you're doing right now, so and it, it sort of brings to mind like when her character in Be Little Lies, like kind of remembers she's a lawyer. Yes, yes. You know, and yeah. and and it's that kind of like, oh, you you thought I was just this one thing, but actually I have, you know, um, a, a particular set of knowledge and skills that uh, <laughs> come to bear here. Well, and I feel like uh, in the later scene, uh, when uh, Edgar Ramirez's character is in uh, her, when they're like basically tossing her apartment looking for evidence, um, his character's name is Detective Joe Mendoza. I suppose I should call them by their character names. Uh, I feel like he treats her uh, differently, like uh, with a bit more. I mean, he's he's gentler with her because I think I think that interrogation room uh, scene is uh, you know a test. They're like we don't know what she knows. We don't know how complicit she is. We don't know if she's hiding him. Um, and I, I feel like uh, detect good old detective Joe here has made a decision that she is not uh, protecting her husband, that, that she is as much in the dark. You know what I mean? Like, I think he got his answer on that. And so then he can afford to be a bit gentler with her in that subsequent scene. Yes. And I think the tricky thing is for Grace in that that position. And I think that like, he's kind of seeing how she reacts is you have a basically split second to decide whether you're going to go all in and work with the police, or if you're going to like retreat and say, lawyer, lawyer, or like, you know, arrest me or let me go. And, and, you know, circle the wagons around the family. And I think that, I mean, like, because both are shitty options, but like, and that have like really intense consequences. Um, and I think watching her figure that out is interesting for us in the audience, but also like the detectives would be looking for that and be like, okay, like how genuine does this all seem? How calculated is this? Um, and it seems she passed the test, I guess. Um, and, and, and what's interesting is, um, her father, the Donald Sutherland character is very much like, circle the wagons 
like, 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 let's, let's protect the family, um, sort of thing. Uh, the other character, like, uh, speaking of her family, the other character that I want to mention their behavior in this episode, uh, is her son, Henry, played by Noah Jupe. Um, is it Jupe? Am I like over zhuzhing, uh, his last Jupe? name? I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's Jupe. Jupe. Um, he says like kind of multiple times, like, mom, you're acting crazy. Mom, like, there's a reasonable explanation for this. Mom, maybe dad just doesn't have internet and stuff like that. Like, it feels like, I feel like her son is gaslighting her. <laughs> um, and not, not in a like, uh, overtly like calculated way necessarily, but just sort of like every time he tells her to calm down, I'm like, no, I think she's the exact level of, of, uh, hysterical she should be in, in this scenario. You know what I mean? Maybe the son did it. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> um, that's a fun guess. That's a fun guess. Well, because he, like, I mean, I, I don't know, that just popped in my head. But, like, that scene where they're on the beach and he's like, this is bullshit. We should be back. Like, you have, we have to fight it or whatever. Um, I got kind of annoyed because that always feels like a device where there has to be someone to be like, no, let's do the opposite thing of what, you know. So there's tension in the scene. Um, but uh, because she's doing the right thing. Get the hell out of town. Like, like whatever, you know. But, um uh maybe, yeah maybe there is more to his um opposition than just like dramatic trying to establish you know dramatic tension <laughs> i will say that like a couple of people that i that i interviewed around the show asked me who i thought did it and um uh and i didn't know the answer but i but but in order to like sound clever um which is what i'm always trying to do i was like well i don't think you hire noah jupe to be in something if you're not gonna ask him to do something you know sort of as you were saying with olivia coleman and Broadchurch, if you're gonna ask them to do something kind of big i don't have any that might have been like maybe the most idiotic thing i've ever said i don't have any evidence whether or not that's true or not but um you know this 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 kid is an incredibly good actor uh so you know hopefully he's not just here to to gaslight his mom and ask for a dog um <laughs> uh, the other thing i want to talk about is these flashbacks uh susanna grant uh, sorry susanna beer told me that um she almost took all the flashbacks out of the show at one point in like one edit pass through she's like maybe maybe no flashbacks and these flashbacks aren't really flashbacks they're like uh, perception memories sort of thing. So yeah. like in one flash, Grace thinks of, um, you know, our, our poor murder victim here as like an angelic mom. And then in another flashback, she's like, you know, it's the sort of like a Madonna whore kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. who is Elena? Who was she to Jonathan? Uh, you know, and, and, you know, even to the point where we see Elena like in in a a bus stop like ad a billboard thing. Um, do you like these subjective journeys and in, into Grace's point of view? I mean, I get that there. It's hard to like man like literalize like what grace would be thinking which is yeah she would probably have a flash she's seen she's been close to this woman while she's naked she's certainly been close to her husband while he's naked like it it wouldn't be that hard to like put them together in some imagined you know setting i guess um so and i think that 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 she would be doing that um so i don't that to re and then when she has like the the vision of her being killed you know like Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem uh like too much of a device for me what i don't didn't love is like her walking near central park and like 
seeing her face in the like the advertisement you know i don't like those things where people are like oh they, like they they think they like see the dead person standing across the room or whatever and then they freak out it's like i don't like unless you're having like a really bad psychotic episode like does that <laughs> actually happen you sure. know i know that they're trying to show paranoia and whatever but I think sometimes there are less cliched ways to do that. But I think that the flashes to what Grace imagined those tr- that tryst would look like, um, that to me works because uh, who wouldn't be imagining that in that situation? Right. And I think it's also interesting. I mean, it, it also keeps Elena alive, I think, for us to have her, you know, like to have Matilda and De Angelis like be in these episodes, even as memories, I think is important to like keep her alive. Otherwise, you know, we only have that one first episode with her. Um, and then I, I, on the one hand, I kind of agree with you, but on the other hand, it is interesting how that trope is then sort of flipped on his head because like uh grace keeps thinking she sees jonathan at the lake house and then yeah. you're like oh, oh he's wait. actually there <laughs> <laughs> he was skulking on the rocks <laughs> lurking yeah. behind rocks and like uh peeking behind windows and stuff like that so uh yeah and and like so what it, like i was worried when i was first watching these episodes i was worried that hugh grant was going to disappear for a long time <laughs> And I was I was bummed yeah. only because like I I like having Hugh Grant's sort of charisma and performance in this show, and I didn't want him to just like vanish for several episodes. Uh, so, you know, what do you think of the fact that he, like he's gone and then he's back by the end of this episode? Well, that scene is well done. It's also fascinating because when have we seen Hugh Grant act in that way? Like right. frantic, teary, like you know, I didn't kill someone, you know, like it, Hugh Grant has had such an interesting career. You know, he's this Oxford guy who, uh, was so good looking and posh and like could act and then sort of fell into it because it was something to do. And I think he like, for most of his career, like never really liked it and always would say in interviews, I hate acting. I want to retire whatever. But in recent years has really seemed to find a renewed, um, interest in it and has been playing interesting different characters, you know, in things like a very English scandal or uh, Cloud Atlas or um, F- uh, Florence Foster, Foster Jenkins. Jenkins. Yeah, yeah. And he's amazing that he should have gotten, oh, or Paddington too. You know, <laughs> should have gotten he, an Oscar he, for both Paddington too and yeah. Florence Foster Jenkins, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it's fun to watch him commit and, you know, to, to really act outside of his, you know, which he could do in his sleep, that, you know, charming, bumbly, erudite British guy thing. Right. Um, so, and, and I think that like, because it's such a shock to see Hugh Grant like that in the audience, it communicates what it was, what a shock it is for Grace yeah. to see her husband like that. Because like she says in the interrogation scene, he's a warm person, you know, but here he is like frantic and, teary and you know talking about this crazy psycho woman who's stalking his family you know it's just like it's such a um what if there was a mask it is fully off and um well certainly he'd been wearing one for at least a few months if this was all happening and he didn't say anything about it right um so yeah i think i i like the shock of that scene and then the episode ends like i think that's i think that's a nice abrupt kind of like it sort of jolts you forward and you're like kind of bouncing back and forth while the credits roll and you're like, ah, I need to watch the next one. Yeah. The, uh, the other line reading I really like in this episode is him saying encroachment, um, which is a great, uh, Hugh Grantish way of talking about this woman sort of insinuating her according to him into their lives. Um, 
And it, it like the, the, the flashbacks or, or the flashes that Grace has, um, does help illuminate uh, this thing that happens in episode one, uh, where where you very rightly were like, we see him at the hospital with his patient before he like mm. slips into bed with her. But it's like, now we understand that that's really just like Grace's memory of him as a, a cardiac, you know, a pediatric or, or fantasy of him in a way. Oh, right. You, you right. know, exactly. like doing his caring, but like charming and my husband's you know, off doing this right now sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and for, you know, I, I, I would have to imagine that, you know, we have what, four more episodes that the mystery is going to get let, you know, it, it, there's going to be more to it, but I think th- all of this stuff coming out, cause you know, I feel like a lot of times this would come out in episode five or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, but to just put it all up front, uh, I think is a really interesting like storytelling uh, choice. And uh, I, th- in terms of really accelerating the show's momentum, I think it's, it's pretty successful. Yeah. And the last thing we should talk about is this idea of paternity that like he might be the father yes. of her baby, um, which, uh, you know, is one of those things where um, – now, no matter what happens, I mean, like, obviously, there's a lot undone and great, you know, like, like, let's say we believe what Jonathan says here. And like, he had sex with this woman, but he left and he came back and she was dead. Like, let's say that we uh, believe that. Uh, let's say that there is like another uh, an end to this uh, crisis, this immediate crisis. But if he is the father of that baby, they are forever now linked to this other family. Uh, yeah. because of that and i think that that's an interesting aspect of of all of this and grace realizing wait 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 the the baby at that thing that we were gossiping about the breastfeeding with my friends that yeah. baby might be my husband's yeah. like how surreal that would be yeah uh yeah i think that like that is a huge um that's a great way of the show for to set that up because it's it the baby serves this function in in that scene because it's like, oh, it's showing that she's different from these other moms, right? And then you kind of forget about the baby because then it's focusing on the son who goes to school, right? At Reardon, and the son—that's the son who finds her body and all that stuff. And, and then was sick when, and all stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then when the detective is like the baby, you're like, oh my god, right? Like that's the same woman and the same family, and yeah, it's it's, it's a nice shock. I think you have to constantly re-examine Elena's behavior in that first episode of like what she wants from Grace, right? Like, so Jonathan's interpretation is that she's like obsessed with Grace. She joins the gym, you know, that she's yeah. like doing a kind of like fatal attraction kind of uh, single white female kind of creepy thing uh, where she joins the gym, stuff like that. But like, let's think about this idea. Like she's breastfeeding. We could have our various interpretations of of the breastfeeding scene uh, last week, but this week we have to think about it in terms of like she like this baby is partially her claim on Jonathan, and this is Jonathan's wife who has her own claim on Jonathan. So like, what you know, what does that mean? Um, yeah. And so, of all the flashes that I liked, actually, the one that I liked the best was when Grace discovers the scarf and the perfume. 
in Jonathan's closet and she sprays the perfume and that sense memory immediately. Mm-hmm. Like she remembers Elena in the locker room and you're like, she gets, she smells it. She knows what that smells like. Uh, I thought that was a really effective use of it. Right. Yeah. There. yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, it's only somewhat related, but like when, uh, Jonathan's talking about the, but he's telling her everything, you know, and he's like, and I went, you know, and he's like, and we, you know, I, I went to her and I, we, we, we argued and then you know, uh, we had sex. And <laughs> you're just like, oh my God, man. Like, but like, is that him covering bases? Like to be like, well, they're going to find, you know, DNA. This but, evidence. Yeah. 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 You know, um, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, know. Hugh, and, Hugh yeah. Grant being like, Oh, we had sex. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty great. Um, all right. Before we go to our conversation with Nicole Kidman, is there anything else you want to talk about in this episode, Richard? Um, oh, I love her green coat. Yes. Um, I think it also is interesting. Uh, I just, it, it's interesting how much the hair really is bringing me back to nineties, yeah. like, 90s, 90s Nicole. And like it, 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 it makes you, look at her different or something. I don't know. It's a subtle thing or maybe not that subtle. I don't know. But I think her whole aesthetic in the show um, is, is stirring up like uh, a sort of older affection for Nicole Kidman that like um, uh, makes you worry for her that much more. Um, yes. I love that. What's your, what's your like iconic early Nicole performance? I mean, probably far and away, I would uh, guess. Me too. Yeah, yeah, that was big. I mean, Days of Thunder, like, was, well, I didn't quite get what that was doing. But actually, you know, I, I say far and away, but no, it's dead calm. Oh, very good. Dead that calm. movie's excellent, and she's and excellent in it, and the hair is in full bloom in that in that uh, movie. For some reason, Far and Away was always on the, like, HBO free preview weekends when I was growing up. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and so, like, my yeah. sister and I watched it a lot. Uh, we quote that movie a lot. So yeah, you're a carker, Shannon. What a carker you are. Uh, Tom Cruise's excellent Irish accent. All right. And on that note, let us go to our interview with Lily Rabe. Um, I want to mention a couple things first. Uh, she mentions, uh, Donald in, in the middle of the interview, just, you know, to make sure we're all on the same page. That is Donald Sutherland. She's talking about her character's relationship with Grace's father a little bit, just a little bit, because that's sort of a preview of some future episodes. But the Donald mentioned in the interview is Donald Sutherland. And then also, oh, I kicked off by asking her about Fleetwood Mac season, because if you're an American Horror Story fan, you know that Lily played a character called Misty Day on American Horror Story Coven, who was sort of like obsessed with Stevie Nicks, uh, so much so that the show manifested Stevie Nicks herself on the show. So uh, the rise of Fleetwood Mac on TikTok and other medium, uh, you know, I, I felt like Lily uh, deserved a little slice of that pie so that's where we start and you'll see where we end so let's go to our interview with lily red hey i'm brian stelter host of inside the hive from vanity fair this week with the help of dan adler and olivia nuzzi we're going inside the media circus swirling around donald trump's criminal trial people want coverage of donald trump there are sort of shades of 2015 2016 i found it to be a, a total break from the reaction to a lot of trump coverage in the last two years join me brian Stelter, on inside the hive from vanity fair listen wherever you get podcasts apple card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card you can earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day 
That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Complete joy to talk to you. I want to wish you a happy uh, Fleetwood Mac revival season. I don't know if that is... (laughs) splashing back on you in any way but i always think of you of course <laughs> when Fleetwood mac is in the news um always, always. <laughs> i wanted to actually start by asking you about um i was talking to edgar a little bit about his the difference in his experience working um on the assassination of johnny versace on a ryan murphy show versus something like this and i'm curious for you since you've done so much work um, in the Ryan Murphy verse, like what, what the differences are on this project? You know, I think one of the, one of the most profound differences would be that, uh, much of working on, on horror story is, um, like doing a kind of trust fall. There is, um, in, in, in the most wonderful way, Mm-hmm. Um, but very often going in, you don't know where things will end up. You don't know where the journey that your character is going on will end right. up. Um, so that's something I love about doing that show. And it's very, it's very specific to my experience of doing that show. Um, and it's, you know, it's great to do a trust fall when you know that the person's arms you're falling into, uh, is Ryan Murphy. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it with just anyone or very many people. But um, and then with with the undoing, it really felt more like shooting a film uh, because we had uh, Susanna directed all the episodes. We were shooting in such a way where it was we were block shooting a lot of it, where we were you know the the cross boarding of the episodes so that it felt like like shooting um, the beginning, middle, and end of a of a of a film. And um, so really such a different experience in that way, just the format and, and, and what that experience is day to day in terms of calibrating the arc of your character. And um, it's, it's a, it, you're using a different skill set and, mm-hmm. and the experience is very different, but I wouldn't choose one, one over the other. I think the most important thing is that, you know, at the helm is someone like Susanna Beer or someone like Brian Murphy. And then, um, then I'm on board. Uh, the more I hear about Susanna's process, the more fascinated I am by it. Like whether it's, you know, room for table reads, um, the extensive amount of coverage she shoots, or uh, one of the most fascinating elements I learned today is about this sort of slow warm up to kind of calling action on a scene. Um, I don't know if you had this experience where she allows you to sort of move through the space before the action really starts going. Um, you know, of all the things that she does that might be a little different from the status quo in terms of her approach, what was most useful to you uh, in your process? Wonderful question. Something I would say about Susanna, when we, when she first called me after I'd read the first two episodes um, and she sort of was calling me to tell me why I should do it. And mm-hmm. something she, I, we had met, I had done a reading for her of a film that um, didn't get made, but 
I am such a fan of hers and I, I so, um, I was so eager to work with her, but, uh, something she said to me on the phone was that she felt, um, you know, she wasn't even close to being sort of finished with who Sylvia was going to be Mm. and that she really wanted to be in process with me. And uh, she had all of these ideas and plans for the character that she wanted to figure out along the way. And the thing is, I have heard people have said things like that to me in the past and very rarely is it true. Um, And she exceeded expectations. It was a constant process of exploration and curiosity and sort of leaving no stone unturned in terms of making sure that we were, um, we were doing right by the, by the character and doing right by the story. Um, And really over the course of shooting, Sylvia became something um, much more than was on the page when I first read it. It was just exactly what Susanna said, but I think, um, you know, just because someone says something doesn't mean it will be true, but with her, it it is true. And it's, it's even better than that. Yeah, it's it's funny because, you know, of course, if we're coming off of watching a couple seasons of Big Little Lies, we think we know what it means to be uh, Nicole Kidman's friend as she's dealing with a murder. You know what I mean? We think we know what that character might be. Um, and I, I was I'm really interested because it, Sylvia, in many ways, defies boxing which i which is always fun and interesting for a character um i keep exp- i don't know what to expect from her yeah. and uh good <laughs> and that's true of like a lot of characters on this season but uh i'm i am especially on edge just because i know how much you can do and you're doing it and you can you can do anything and so i'm just always on edge to see if like there's going to be a turn or something from her Thank so you. Yeah. I think that's one of the wonderful things about this about this show uh, is that you really you don't you can't get ahead of it, um, and yeah, I'm so glad that you felt that way. As you were reading through um, the scripts, uh, did you have a certain uh, you know I'm not I'm not digging for any spoilers or anything like that, but did you have were you convinced you knew what had happened, and were you surprised ultimately by what you discovered? Yes, I was surprised along the way a number of times. There were times when I was uh, very confident and and not wrong ultimately. And then there were times when I would switch and I uh, and and I was then very confident in a direction that was wrong. So, <laughs> um, yes, I reading them. I you know I really had had that sort of. Uh, and it's hard when you're, you know, because you could just turn, you could just flip a hat. But <laughs> I didn't do it. Um, I'll ask you an easier question. Um, what do you think when you think of the title, The Undoing? What do you think is undone by this uh, this whole mystery? You know, I think even more painful than the undoing of someone who we think we know and love and trust is uh, the undoing of ourselves and the sort of rollback on um, our own 
feeling of confidence that the ground beneath us is solid to walk on Mm -hmm. um, and not trusting yourself to navigate the world or navigate relationships. uh, I think that's the most difficult of all Um, because people, people are surprising in every direction. They can be so surprisingly wonderful and so surprisingly disappointing (laughs) and both. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really is in those moments where you realize, you know, you, you sort of, there's a part of yourself that you have failed to recognize. I think that that is the, to me, sort of the most poignant part of, um, of what the title means. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I, I, every single person has a different answer for that. So I find that really interesting as well. Um, the, something that uh, I I know that Susanna likes to do in her directing is these really interesting close-up shots um, on an item or someone's hands or something like that. Um, what is it like for you to be on, on the other side of that camera um, in that process? You know, it's such a, it, it's so hard when you feel like the container of the work that's happening isn't isn't holding the work isn't seeing the work and it's not and that things are sort of spilling out all over the place (laughs) but with Susanna you just think everything is being held um and that's what it feels like to be on the other end of 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 her lens that you are being seen I, I felt that way very much also as just a, as a, as a woman, as a, as a human being, she's um, it's, she really sees people. She sees people so clearly. I felt, I felt that way so distinctly with her and so immediately with her. Um, But as, as an actor, you just feel like the scene is being taken care of. Um, And so there's just an incredible uh, trust there because she is one of those directors who's able to hold the story so seamlessly uh, with, you know, holding the individual characters um, and nothing ever gets lost. So it's a great feeling. How are we supposed to interpret Sylvia as sort of the one mom who stands by um, Nicole Kidman's character in all this? I think that for... You know, I think Sylvia is so adept at moving through this social circle. Mm -hmm. She's like a great athlete who's grown up playing the sport. Mm -hmm. But I don't necessarily think it's her soul's sort of happiest place. Um, Mm -hmm. I think she would, I think her truest self sort of lives on the edges, even though the way she functions is right in the middle. And I think that that's a likeness that she has with, with Grace's character, that they're both outside of it in a way. Um, there's just a, a likeness there. There's a, I think they are sort of, they have something um, very kindred between them in the way that they can function very well in their environment, but actually don't want to really be um, right in the middle of it in the way that they are. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, it does the... It's like the hand you want to hold under the table at an event, right. you know? It's like whether you're actually holding it or sort of invisibly holding it, yeah. that's the hand you want to squeeze and like reach out and know that it's there. Um, and that's sort of, that's sort of how I feel about that relationship. And it's, she's, she's so able to stay on the, on the razor's edge of, um, I think it's why people gravitate towards her because even though she, she knows how to function so well and sort of, um, you know, she's a manicured person, right? but she's very polished, but she pushes right up against the edge. And I think she's sort of always sitting on that. Um, it's kind of always bubbling under the surface. And I think that Donald's character is like that too. And we sort of talked about how we think that like these families, which had known each other forever. And right. so, you know, I think Sylvia has known Donald since she was teeny tiny. And I think, uh, or Frank, and I think that, um, they share that kind of just a little bit of, it's just a little bit of wickedness uh, yeah. and being able to sort of exist right in the middle of it and um, and be outside of it, commenting on it at the same time. And they're really dexterous. You've, you've talked a bit about this uh, moving through a social circle um, concept that's in this show, but there's also this clash of social circles that is so inherent to the show and, and the clash of, um, you know, what's what's at the center of this privileged world is very white and what's on the border of it is very, you know, not white in terms of some of the character, the other characters on the show. And I'm just curious for you if you've thought about the way in which this show might land now in October of 2020 versus when it was originally supposed to air in spring of this year and sort of where the viewing audience might be uh, in a different place to receive it. I think any show that holds up a mirror right now and asks its audience to ask questions um, of itself and to sort of be in a constant um, aggressive and active conversation and never sitting back, never, never feeling like... um, there aren't more, there isn't more work to do. Uh, anything that can do that is, is immeasurably important um, and always has been. Um, but I think right now having it, having it air when it does, um, like, listen, I'm very excited for people to see it, to see it when they'll be seeing it. Um, and I, and I hope that it does. I hope that it, it, it helps to continue this conversation that we're having, that there is, there is no more important conversation to be, to be having. Was there, um, I'm not, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't know precisely when this particular interview is going to run, but I promise that if you say anything, that is a spoiler of a future episode, I will uh, cut it out, but I'm curious. Uh, I've seen five episodes in those yeah. first five episodes. Um what was the most challenging thing for you to tackle, to land, um, to navigate in your performance? Maybe my favorite challenge um, was not shying away from the ugliness in my character's relationships, the parts that aren't uh, 
that don't have perfectly round edges and that aren't perfectly manicured. And mm -hmm. so figuring out uh, and, and sort of, you know, and, and joining hands with Nicole and Susanna to make sure that when the sort of shift in their friendship occurs and when that reveal happens, that it's not easy. It shouldn't be easy because it isn't easy when those things happen and, and what happens on the other side um, isn't easy because it's, it's, it's real. And it's, um, I think that, you know, so many of the relationships and in this world, uh, they never, they just can, they can just skate along the surface and stay above the surface. And so when you sort of like get out the ice pick and they're like, okay, we're going in and it's going to be gold yeah. uh, that you feel like you're really, really properly doing that. Um, that was, yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you for the chat. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your so great nice work on, the, on the shows. Um, thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode, episode two of The Undoing. Richard, until we're back, we, we return from the lake house, back to the intrigue of New York. Where where can folks find you? Well, I mean, there's so much going on here. I have to, I'm, I'm going to my beach house. I, I can't, I just can't stay in the city. It's just too much noise, too much distraction. Um, but, you know, I have internet there, you know. Okay, no, you hear me, Noah Jube? I have internet there. Um, <laughs> so I'll be tweeting at Rylaz and writing at VF.com. Uh, until the next uh, clue reveals itself, Joanna, where will you be? Well, I, like uh, Lily Ray, will be going into a diner asking for some water and some privacy, please. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, But you can find me uh, on VF.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. And we will see you next week. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts.